everyone and welcome to episode 21 of the Viewfinder Vikings podcast. Hopefully by now you've listened to episode 20 which was Sven's chat with Ava. That was a delightful conversation with the two of them sounding like old friends just uh, catching up. Tonight it's just one of us again, uh, it's myself, Ian Knott and I'm going to play you my my conversation with uh, a Pulitzer Prize winner no less, uh, Mr. Cahill Norton. Hopefully, in an episode very soon, Sven and I will actually be in the same place at the same time and be able to record together. Uh, but in the meantime, as I say, I'm going to play you this conversation, which I recorded just just earlier on this evening. Um, hopefully, even though it's not kind of film photography related, if you're a regular listener to the Viewfinder Vikings, you'll know that we're all about projects and about things that might inspire photographers, regardless of the, the medium they, they're using. So... I uh, hope you enjoy this. Look forward to the feedback. Um, we're getting more and more feedback on the episodes, so uh, we'll be delighted to, to, to hear what you think about this one. So uh, as an introduction, I'll read you his bio from his website, uh, which goes like this. So Cahill McNaughton is a multi-award winning photojournalist currently based in Ireland. After winning the Pulitzer Prize in 2018 for his coverage of the Rohingya refugee crisis in Myanmar and Bangladesh, Cahill relocated back to Ireland where he is continuing his work documenting people and places. Previously, Cahill was chief photographer at the Reuters agency in India and has travelled extensively in Asia covering news stories of world importance. He also worked for Reuters in Europe, the Press Association and the Daily Telegraph and his work regularly features in leading publications across the globe. Cahill's photography has won in major accolades including UK Press Photographer of the Year, Royal Photographer of the Year and Environmental Photographer of the Year. His work capturing the struggle of the exiled Rohingya Muslims saw him awarded the Pulitzer Prize for Photography in New York in 2018. Cahill leads masterclasses, workshops and conferences in universities and he travels worldwide talking about the role of media in divided societies and the importance of factual journalism in the world of social media. Born during the height of the Troubles, Cahill was inspired to become a photographer after meeting photojournalists from across the world who were working in Ireland during the civil unrest. As the youngest child of two bossy older sisters, Cahill describes himself as a tolerant person, who to this day is a fan of the knitted jumper. He does not trust horses. Cahill, how are you? Yeah, good, good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No, it's, it's great to talk to you again. So... Describe to us where you are. Are you uh, are you out in your van or are you uh, are you back at home? No, at the minute I'm uh, in my cottage here up in the north coast of uh, Antrim, and uh, I'm looking at my dog who's sleeping on the sofa. As the wind whistles outside, so it's a uh, very oh, sounds bu- good bucolic setting. Although it is, a, it's it's a wee bit cold. I have is to there say. There's a roaring fire in the hearth. There is actually a roaring. Oh, perfect, perfect. Uh-huh. So, sounds excellent. So, so we met really briefly a couple of weeks ago at a camera club evening in in Limerick, and uh, I've never really been much of a camera club person, uh, and that was my first visit to that club. Uh, and I think maybe some of the audience questioning took you off in, into areas that perhaps you, you know, you would have liked to have spent time talking about certain other things. And I thought, you know, I'd love to give you the opportunity to talk about a few of those. And I, obviously, I was keen to hear more from you as well. So thought we'd invite you on here and. Uh, get to know a little bit more about you. Um, as, as I said, not a massively experienced interviewer, so my questions might be a little bit sort of formulaic, but, but we'll give it a go. So, uh, so how did you get into the career of being a, a, a photojournalist in the first place? Uh, well, it was a family friend 
who uh, kind of introduced me to photography. He was the picture editor of uh, of one of the main newspapers here in the north of Ireland. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, I accompanied him for a month. Or there was a book, a, a book, well known publication called "The Day in the Life of," and it visited different countries around the world. So there was a day in the life of Japan, a day in the life of uh, Canada, etc. And it came to Ireland and what would happen would be they would pick maybe uh, seven or eight photographers from that country and mm-hmm. then uh, fly in photographers from all over the world and they would be given uh, a couple of weeks to research and then they'd be given one day and a certain amount of rolls of film to shoot uh-huh. and at the end of it all the stuff was gathered together and then they edited it and made a book out of it so the photographer Brendan Murphy, he he chose to do his research down around the area where I'm from, and uh, my father was kind of his fixer, or the guy that was showing him around, and yeah. I just tagged along. So that 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 was it, my introduction to photography. Oh, excellent! And and did you did you realize straight away it was something that you wanted to get involved in, and and why, what was it about it that that maybe led you that way? Honestly, no. Uh, okay. <laughs> like anybody else uh, around that age, you've no idea really mm-hmm. what it is you want to do. But uh, I knew one thing for sure, and that was that I didn't want to continue my further education. Uh, so whenever I was uh, 16, after I'd completed my GCSEs or uh, O-levels in old money, yeah. instead of going on to do my A-levels, I... Uh, was given the opportunity. He said, listen, if you ever want to get into photography, give me a shout. So the day I received my results, I rang him and he was <laughs> true to his word. And he said, all right, come on, come on in. Oh, cool. So that, that, that was the start of it. And it, well, that was the start start of it. And it's uh, I've never looked you, back. Since. You never look back. Yeah. So so what was next? What did that mean for a, for a 16 year old? Well, it meant the very glamorous life of cleaning the darkroom and uh, deving films and uh, being a general dog's body at the beginning. Uh, I would have to get a lift to Belfast because I lived in lived in the countryside and I would have to get, get a lift to the, the city where the newspaper was. And the only way I could do that in the mornings because transport and public transport in Northern Ireland or Ireland as a whole is non-existent. So I would get a lift in the back of a works van with uh, men, men going to their work every day and building sites. Uh-huh. I would be, have to get up around 6 o'clock and jump in the back of one of these works vans and head head into the, the Irish News. So, yeah, they were, they were interesting times. Yeah, and you'd spend all day in the dark and then in the back of a van to drive home again. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> it's the glamorous yeah. life of, of being a professional in the photography world. Yeah, so, hold on, what? Much of a professional at that stage, but yeah, it was uh-huh. glamorous. So when did you actually get your hands on a camera and start uh, start using it in anger? Well, from the very start, I was get, I was given a camera and shown how to use it. And but it probably, I would say, it was a good three or four years before the majority of my pictures were sharp and uh-huh. uh, the exposures were correct. So I I did serve my time uh, on uh, film cameras and Devon film and stuff. So I uh-huh. I learned the fundamentals of photography at the very very beginning, which I think has uh, stuck me well throughout my career. 
Do you think that that film background gave you any kind of any I don't know different insight into how pictures are made um, as opposed to somebody who's only known digital? No, do you know what? Probably, probably not. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably not. I think too much can be made sometimes about uh, how important digital or yeah. film photography is. It, it's it's all photography. Basically, it's a it's an instrument that's trying to capture what it is you're looking at. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really matter that much about this instrument. It matters about what how you can see things. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so no, I I I don't hark back to the halcyon days of film photography mm-hmm. or anything. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I did it. But uh, I've got no no great uh, love for it. Yeah. Okay. So, um, how long did you stay in that kind of role and, and, and working there? Oh no, you're going back a long, a long time. <laughs> I I was there for a few years, on and off. There was mm-hmm. I disappeared to Australia at one stage, much to the uh, disgust of my mentor at the time, and uh, had a had a bit of fun over there. Then came back and. Uh, spent time with other newspapers and things in Belfast. So mm-hmm. that, yeah, it was a, yeah, it was a, it was an exciting time. It was a yeah. rough enough. Yeah, uh, and that's the tail end of the troubles in in the north, presumably. Yeah, yeah, that that was towards the end of the the troubles, thankfully, and uh, the, yeah. So, but I I have seen and photographed my fair share of. Uh, of violence and civil unrest in Northern Ireland, because even though there was a peace agreement signed, mm-hmm. what, uh, there was still sporadic violence and stuff happening anyway. So uh, it's not like a light uh, a light was uh, turned on or off the moment the peace agreement was signed. You know, things kept trundling on. Mm-hmm. So, so after that period, you were over to the UK in the for the um, the, the Telegraph. Is that right? Yeah, well, in, in between that, I went to Dublin, uh, where I worked for the Press Association. Then they took me over. There was an opening came in there, uh, London uh, Bureau. So I joined the Press Association in London, and then I joined the Telegraph just a short time after that. Okay. And then you worked different agencies before Reuters, or was where, where did where? How long was it before you kind of joined that agency? Well. So I went over to London with, or I went to Dublin with the Press Association. They they are the the sort of uh, unofficial uh, UK press agency. They would uh, be one of the main press agencies in uh, the United Kingdom and I and Ireland. And I worked with them in Dublin and then over in London. Then I spent some time with the Daily Telegraph. Then. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ended up back in Ireland and I joined uh, Reuters then and I worked for Reuters in Ireland for seven years before heading off uh, across to India when the posting came up over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. so, so so, what sort of work were you doing? Whatever was kind of news at the time, you, you'd be sent off to, to capture these images or was it, a, were you kind of, is, was it more kind of long form journalism that you were working in those days? No, well, as an, an agency photographer, uh, you have to be uh, a bit of a jack of all trades at times. You know, you'd be covering major news events, major sporting events. That's the 
you know, breaking news, sometimes foreign assignments. You have to be able to be a bit of a Swiss Army knife, you know, and yeah. adapt different things. And and do you prefer one over the other? Do you prefer the idea of getting to know a place and explore it in a, a journalistic way, or do you prefer the the kind of the pressure of having to produce something that's that's going to be on the front page the next day? Well, each of them has got their uh, their pluses and minuses, but given given the chance, I I like being able to get somewhere and spend a bit of time and really. Mm-hmm. Uh, get a feel for the place and a feel for the story and do a bit of research. So, But that's not always possible, uh, depending on who it is you're working for. But uh, given the opportunity, yeah, I like I like to be able to uh, uh, spend, a, spend a bit of yeah. time on the story, you know, and, rather than flying in and flying out. Yeah, sure. And, that, and that's what was happening in India, right? You were, you were kind of posted over there, is that right? Yeah, I was in, based in Delhi as uh, Reuters chief photographer over in India. So I was in charge of the India operations and uh, looking after all the the multimedia, the footage and all the photographs that were coming out of India. And then I would uh, help out in the region in Southeast Asia and beyond. Mm-hmm. And and had anything prepared you for India before you, you know, if you'd been around kind of the UK and Ireland, um, were you ready for the, the, the kind of visual impact of India? No, well, the thing was, although I was based in uh, the UK and Ireland, I was still being sent on assignments all around the world. So okay. I was well, I was well-travelled. Okay. But uh, the thing was, nothing can, nothing can prepare you for India. It is a very unique place. It's an assault on the senses. Mm-hmm. You know, all your senses, not just your eyes, your smell, your taste, touch, everything. It's it's a crazy place. So uh, no, it was a it was a real baptism of fire. <laughs> yeah, but a a pretty exciting place to do that sort of work, I imagine. Very very exciting. Yeah, as a, as a photographer, India is quite an amazing place, but it presents its own unique challenges as well because it is a place that has been photographed so often mm-hmm. that it is a country full of cliches. And you don't want to produce cliches all of your life. You know, every now and then it's fine taking pictures of the Taj Mahal and things, but it's all about uh, putting your own stamp on things and then, uh, yeah, creating your own, your, maybe creating your own cliches or whatever, you know. Uh-huh. And and did you have a, a local team out there that sort of helped you with access and things like that? Because you're, you're kind of a six foot two tall white man who's who's wandering around India taking pictures we were, were you afforded access or have local arrangements with people out there yeah well there Reuters had a bureau so there was you know there's lots of other journalists and things and uh, locals and Hindi speakers and whatever particular language of the country we're going to so you know there was always somebody that I could speak to or you know I'm used to operating in countries where I don't really know the language so there's different ways and means of getting around these things so mm-hmm. just it, it comes with experience uh-huh. so while you're out in in that part of the world is that when you were sent out to uh, Bangladesh and Myanmar for the for the uh, the troubles out there yes uh, whenever I was there the uh, Rohingya refugee crisis uh, happened, unfolded, and so there was a yeah, it was a story that I felt very strongly about and and wanted to cover. And 
give my editors and superiors uh, a hard time uh, asking them for uh, the possibility to go and shoot this story just mm-hmm. the neighboring in the neighboring country and, and why did you feel so strongly about it what was what was the sort of connection to that story the fact that it was such it was one of the most it was biblical almost to see the images mm-hmm. that were coming out of there the scale was unbelievable you had upwards of you know we're hitting nearly a million people now that have fled uh, Rakhine State over from uh, Myanmar into Bangladesh. So, and these people are coming in on foot, you know, mm-hmm. or across on in boats. And so it was such a crazy spectacle. And then because we were, weren't hearing, we were only hearing rumors of what was happening to them over in Myanmar. So mm-hmm. I wanted to get there and find out exactly what was happening myself. And because it's happening in a country that is right beside you, so close to you, I felt that this this was a story that I I had to tell. I wanted to be part of. Yeah, I I the pictures that you that you took there. I'm pretty sure I saw, I saw those images at the time, and that combined with a couple of news reports from on on Radio Four from the BBC um, was some of the most powerful reporting I I ever remember really. Um, and because the story was, as you say, biblical, and it was quite so so desperate, some of the situations you you heard um, through that. Um, how how as a photographer witnessing that sort of thing, are you able to? Um, I mean, surely your your human nature is that you just want to help these people in whatever way you can. Um, were you kind of satisfied that that taking the pictures and sharing their their kind of plight around the world was was the best way to help them, or were you frustrated that you couldn't kind of pick people up and carry them or, you know, do whatever, it, it kind of affect individuals while you were there? Well, as an individual, the the most help I could give was through highlighting and showing the world what was happening uh, through uh, photography and through through the media. Mm-hmm. So that I was... I was uh, yeah, content kind of that I I was doing my bit and I was doing it for the right reasons. I was there to uh, get these people, give these people a voice. Quite often, the 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 poorest people or the people that are uh, suffering most are the ones mm-hmm. that don't have a voice. So I I felt that I needed to be able to give them that. But uh, also there were there were many times where the camera was put aside and uh, you're a human first, you know. Mm-hmm. And so there were times that you did, I I did physically help people, uh, but that's I don't think that's a particularly special thing. That's just something that anybody should do. That's just you as a that says more about yourself than it does about uh, uh, your profession or anything. You know. Mm. Yeah, uh, what, what, yeah. I, I I just can't imagine um, being in that situation. Quite honestly, when you when you talk about um, showing the world what was happening, is that the kind of motivation that that as a photojournalist has kind of carried you through some sticky, difficult, um, frightening situations? Is it is it kind of that thing in the back of your mind that people need to know these stories and need to see these pictures that keeps you going through that sort of thing? Uh, de- definitely. If it wasn't for uh, journalists, photojournalists, photographers, whatever, you know, people mm. be aware of what is happening. And even in a, 
a time the time we're in now where uh, there is so much media so everybody's got so much so uh, much access to all forms of media but unfortunately they've lost the ability to uh, question where these sources are coming from so mm -hmm. there's so much I hate using the term, but there's so much uh, fake news or whatever knocking about that I don't think there's been a more important time for journalism than now. It's really under threat. People don't realize just how how dangerous a world would be without journalists questioning politicians because even even now when we've got journalists questioning presidents, etc., I think we know who I'm talking about, mm -hmm. they still go ahead and do what they want anyway. So imagine if, the, if there wasn't somebody there just holding them to account. Yeah. So I think, it's, I think it's extremely important. Even in the last day or two, we've had uh, uh, Pompeo uh, attacking, uh, verbally attacking uh, a journalist and then uh, Trump backing uh, mm -hmm. him up and all she was doing was ask, asking him a question. Yeah, it's a perfectly legitimate question. So maybe we'll come on to it a little, little bit later. But do you, you, how, how do you feel about the future of, of photojournalism? And the, as you as you mentioned, these it's become more kind of democratic. More more and more people can take pictures and share them around the world really quickly. Do you still think there's a place for the photojournalist in the long run, or or will will kind of social media take over that? No, will always be a place for. Uh, hello. Hi. Still here. Sorry. Yeah. There'll there will always be a place for photojournalism, I think, because uh, it's not it's not just uh, the case of uh, pointing a camera or pointing a phone and taking a picture. Mm -hmm. There, like journalism, you know, you have to find out what's going on. You have to ask questions. You have to. Uh, Research. You have to question, see if people are telling the truth. You know, you don't just accept everything that is going going on in front of you. There's a lot more goes into it than just uh, taking a picture, and that's what people sometimes forget. You know, there's a lot of knowledge. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of experience behind uh, behind it. You know, it's a craft. It's a skill. Yeah. It's a vocation. Oh, you know? Absolutely. So, so on on the other hand, do you, do you see dangers in the fact that that things can travel around the world so quickly and and become uh, viral without necessarily being true? Of course, it's really yeah. it's really dangerous. Although fake uh, misinformation has has been about for I'm sure as long as uh, mankind has been uh, painting on walls, mm. but uh, or in cave walls, like their propaganda and different things would go back to the even just, you know, World War Two, World War One propaganda. You know, this this has always happened. I think we have to be re-educated in how we uh, consume consume our media. We have to because this has all happened very quickly. The advances made in social media has happened in my lifetime, like within mm -hmm. the past few years, within your lifetime. Yeah. So I think we need to be educated on how to consume this media again. I think that's something that needs to be done in schools with children. Uh, we need to start from the very beginning again. Mm -hmm. Do you do you see yourself playing a role in that education, being as you're kind of got in got the kind of inside knowledge of the of the yeah. industry? Do you do you think there's a there's a role for you to play in in kind of spreading that message? 
Yeah, definitely. And it's something I'm actively doing as well. I'm speaking at universities and colleges and things. I would like to even speak at uh, at lower le- level education as well. Or So, yeah, I think it's, it's important. It's something I'm very passionate about because, yeah, I, I, I see it as a as almost my uh, what we say duty maybe or uh, kind I, of an obliga- obligation so. I feel I have an obligation and I do have a duty to pass on my knowledge mm. and to help to educate people now I don't want to sound like uh, condescending but it's hard not to be taken taken aback when you when somebody repeats verbatim something they've read in Facebook as if it's uh, yeah. fact, and you know it's absolute nonsense, and it could be found out as nonsense within within uh, two or three minutes, mm-hmm. you know, they they aren't interested in finding out whether what they're reading is truth or not. Mm. Yeah, as you say, it's it's all kind of happened so quickly that that we just don't know how to deal with it, do we? And we don't know what what the what what's normal anymore in 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 these in the in these terms sort of thing? It's uh, yeah, scary times. Yeah, and the, the, you've got people that have uh, recognised this very quickly and are taking advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can see by uh, whole elections have been won and lost because of it. Yeah. Uh, so, I think it's time that we uh, caught up and mm-hmm. try to level the playing field slightly. We're not we're not going to level the playing field, but. Uh, you know, educate people a little bit more. Yeah, no, fascinating stuff. Um, in, in terms of the, your your pictures and and that idea of showing the world what's going on, do, do you feel any kind of feedback that 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 your pictures have made a difference, or um, that 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 your job has has, has made a difference? Uh, that, that 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 people have been affected by what you've what you've taken and what you've shown. It would be. I would be very naive if I was to think that all stories I've covered or all pictures I've taken have made any great significant difference because quite often they have not. I have seen it on maybe more personal one-to-one levels where I've been taking stories of and or making pictures of individuals and mm. shooting stories on them and I can see physically or whatever right in front of me the difference that it's made or I, I go back and I'm able to speak to them and I get some feedback. Uh, but yeah unfortunately quite often these things don't don't make a difference but Mm. does that mean you just stop you know if i'm getting a hit rate and occasionally i'm making a slight difference well that's 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 me doing my bit i'm just Mm -hmm. i'll I'll try and uh, keep at it and try and make as much of a difference as i possibly can so you won the pulitzer prize for that work in in myanmar um and bangladesh um congratulations (laughs) Um, how, how do you, how does it sit with you the idea of winning prizes for those those sorts of images and that sort of work? Yeah, well, the the thing is, I always say that you don't you don't win a Pulitzer, you're awarded it because mm-hmm. to think that you've you've got a prize for photographing the plight of somebody or covering some terrible story, well, that that just doesn't sit with me well at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's plenty of other people that uh, were nominated for the award that took equally as uh, poignant pictures and important pictures as myself and the team that I was part of. So, yeah, that's it's nice. 
I, I'll have to say, yeah, it's something I'm very proud of because uh, it's recognition for covering a story that I felt very strongly about. And I think our team had uh, shot it in, a, in a, a beautiful and empathetic way and got the got the message across. So I'll I'll take it. Don't don't oh, yeah. don't get me wrong. But uh, yeah, it's not it's not the focus of uh, my photography. Is not uh, winning competitions. Mm. But but do you think that it it may potentially or, or the idea of giving awards prizes uh, for for those sorts of things? Do you think it might drive the wrong behaviour that people might might take risks that they might not otherwise take? I don't know. This is this is so far from kind of my my hobbyist photography life that I, I, you know, I'm on the edge of uh, having any idea what I'm talking about. But do you know what I mean? That the idea that people might take additional risk because well, there could be a, a prize at the end of it or, a, or an award. Uh, mankind is competitive and they always have been competitive. Uh, again, going back to caveman, but uh, it was the guy that could run the fastest, the woman that could run the fastest, the best hunter, the best fisherman, whatever. There's always going to be competition, and that's just human nature. It's the human character. There's not a lot you can do about that. Unfortunately, I do see it in my industry as well, where you will get people that will be covering assignments with uh, solely the purpose that they want to win awards. You can see in their, their images sometimes that they're shot in a particular way that is the... Uh, in a style that is maybe the the style du jour that is mm -hmm. winning competitions you know this happens that's the latest trend to shoot in this particular way so they'll go out and shoot in that way because they know last year it won WordPress vote or whatever this this happens and it has been happening from from the very beginning so mm -hmm. uh, I can I can only deal, deal with myself I'm I'm happy enough that I I'm in it for the right reasons uh, but yeah, of course, there's people go out and they're in it for for the wrong reasons, of course. Sure, and and again, picking up on something you said earlier, um, how how do you remain kind of neutral when you're faced with with a with with these various situations? Really, um, as a as again, as you said, as a journalist, you need to report the facts of what are happening. But you know, if you're if you're put in those sorts of situations, you you're bound to almost take a side or, or have sympathies w with one side rather than the other maybe. Um, how do you remain neutral? Presumably that's experience and, and hard work to kind of uh, maintain that, that kind of centred view. Yeah, of course. It's a, it's a experience. You know, there's experience all the years that I've been photographing. Uh, a lot of that comes comes into play. But you can be impartial, but it doesn't mean to say that you don't have your own views and opinions. And uh, it's that'll come across in your images some way or another. You know, something like uh, the Rohingya refugee crisis. It didn't matter what your view was, whether you were supporting the Myanmar government or whether you were supporting the the Rohingya. I was just photographing what was in front of me and it was able to, the stories were coming out themselves. You know, you could pl clearly see from what I was doing uh, just what what the reality is. So I, I'm i not there to tell people what to think, but I'm there to show them what is happening and then they can they can make up their own minds. I'll make up my mind and they can, they can uh, the viewer and consumer can, can make up their minds, but I have to make sure that they have got uh, 
the most and the best possible information I can give them, whether that be uh, the correct captions or whatever, or the you know something a photograph that is not too subjective. Mm -hmm. So um, you're I don't want to put an age on you, but you're 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 a, a decade or two into your career now. Um, what do you make of the kind of up and coming generation of, of people doing the same sort of work that you were doing back then? Yeah, no, I've, I'm not looking over my shoulder or anything, worrying about anybody that's coming along. I'm just doing 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 my own thing. Uh, yeah, I've I've got no issues with it. I think uh, it's it's difficult. It was difficult for me. It wasn't as easy for me to get into particular situations as it was for the maybe the the generation before me. So. You know, every every generation has got their own advantages and disadvantages. So I I kind of look at it like that. It's it's certainly not a an easy time to try and make a career as a photographer now. You know, it's next to near impossible mm -hmm. to be a photojournalist. So anybody that is wanting to do this, I hope they they're getting into it for the right reasons because they'll they'll certainly not. Uh, it's certainly no point in getting into photojournalism. Uh, for money because you will not be making money out of it. So I hope it's a bit more than just that. Uh, so in your presentation that I, I saw in Limerick uh, a couple of weeks back, you talked a little bit about the mental health effects of the work that you'd done. And uh, to, to most of us hobbyist photographers, taking pictures is the thing that we do to unwind and relax from the from the day job. But if if taking pictures is, um, you know, has, has led you to some of the situations and some of the things that you've seen. Can you still take pictures for fun? Is it, it, is it, is it work or is it something that you still enjoy and you've not been kind of too scarred by it all? No, well, um, uh, of course, some of these things do have an effect on you and they do have a, a, an emotional and mental effect on you. It's been the the key thing is is recognizing this and being do, doing something about it. Uh, talking talking to people about it is is a a great way of dealing with any sort of issues. Get them out in the open. Mm -hmm. uh, share share your experiences with people. Uh, yes, of course, I still enjoy taking photographs. Although, uh, yeah, if it came to going on holiday or things, I would never take I never take any photographs. If you look at my Instagram, most most things I've done in the past year have been have been sh short videos of uh, my dog or my dog <laughs> or whatever you know. So yeah. uh, maybe that's my form of therapy as well is is doing that. But uh, yeah, it it does it does have an effect on you. There's lots of photographers out there who uh, I know have been scarred by things I've seen and photographed. Mm. Uh, so it's important to uh, talk about uh, your experiences and share them with people around you. I think that's the first step to uh, to a healthier mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I imagine that would that would be the case. Did you did you feel as as a as a photojournalist are you are you able to be as creative creative as you'd like to be and express your um, your creativity and your photography, do, or do you feel uh, what, what role does creativity play in in photojournalism? Perhaps I think it. Well, and personally, I think it's massive. I I would like to think that if you were to look at my pictures, mm -hmm. you would be able to see my own particular style. 
coming across, a style I've sort of developed over the years, uh, and that is an expression and an extension of me. Uh, I would like, I <laughs> I wouldn't, maybe this is uh, being a bit pretentious, but I would see myself as an artist as well, and I mm -hmm. think that across in a lot of the composition and colors and whatever in my in my yeah, photography. Absolutely. So that that is a creative, my photography is a creative output for me. I don't find it in restrictive in any way. Mm -hmm. do, do do people like Reuters or or the Press Association have have a style or have a have a look that they want or, or give you any kind of direction on that sort of thing? Of, of course they do, and they they need to, you know, because they they have to uh, satisfy their clients. But then, whenever you're at this uh, uh, vocation for long enough, you know, you're maybe get your job or whatever because of your own particular style. Of mm -hmm. course, for different agencies, agencies and newspapers might uh, push you in a or nudge you in a certain direction. But I think it's always important. I've always shot the way I've wanted to shoot. You know, as as I've grown as a photographer, that has maybe developed over the years. But uh, I would like to think that when people look at my pictures, they're not saying it's a Reuters picture or a PA picture or a Telegraph picture. They would say it's a Cahill McNaughton picture. No, definitely. And and we'll we'll give out some links at the end of the at the end of the chat to uh, so other people can take a look and, and make up their own minds. Um, so, thinking about your career so far, can you talk about some of the influences that, that either people or photographers or otherwise that have kind of influenced you and, and led you to, to create the work that you do and, and kind of tell the stories that you have done? Yeah, well, just like so many other people, when I was starting out, I looked up to photographers like uh, Don McCullen and James Natchway and Larry Burroughs. Mm -hmm. You know, they were heroes of mine, Sebastian Segato, you know, I'm not saying anybody that I'm not producing any names here that nobody hasn't heard, but uh, they're so well known for a particular reason. But I did aspire to be like some of the other agency and news photographers that I joined, some of their uh, older members. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to start naming names, but uh, yeah, there's many photographers in all the agencies and even from the newspapers that that I would follow and I, I enjoy their enjoy their work. Uh -huh. So, yeah, uh, and that continues, you know, but I, I don't just look at uh, follow photojournalists, you know, I, I don't like to be pigeonholed like that. You know, I'm a fan of uh, artists and fine art photographers and fashion photographers as well. I think mm -hmm. it's just, a, it's a beautiful medium and I can see the beauty in, in all, all its different styles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I, uh, I think I can see that in your work, and I'm sure again as we as we um, point other people in that direction, they'll they'll see the same thing. Um, one other thing you talked about in the in the Limerick um, conversation was an experience you had of a uh, of being asked to photograph a, a pro-abortion protest, and um, maybe you want to tell us that story. But the, the, the thing about it was the way that you took control of that situation. You realized kind of what was going on and that you were being, you were being led down a path that wasn't what you were there to do. And, uh, and again, through experience and the fact that you've, you've done this job and you understand the, 
you know the, the arena that you work in and you were you were able to see what was going on and and and, and make a choice partway through that kind of experience do you want to do you want to tell us that story is that okay yeah yeah but yeah it's a it's not yeah i'll tell i'll tell the story it's an interesting <laughs> story uh i wouldn't say i was in control of the situation definitely not <laughs> uh, i was very much not in control of the situation but uh yeah it's it's an interesting story nonetheless what had happened was there was a there's a group uh, called Femen, and they uh, are a women's uh, they campaign for women's rights, and uh, they have a very noble cause and what have you, and which is which is cool. And we had been told that they were going to perform some sort of protest in uh, St Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin. And so that is all the information we've been given. So I arrived there on the day, St. Patrick's Cathedral is the main cathedral in Dublin. And there's a lot of tourists about. And I was just told that there, were, there was going to be a woman in a trench coat. So straight away, it was becoming a bit more like the, the born supremacy rather than <laughs> a, normal, a normal assignment. So I went into the went into the cathedral, saw that there was a lot of tourists about, and thought, "Oh dear, if there's a if there's a protest in here, you know, this could get messy. I could get arrested or what have you, you know." And I, mm-hmm. I don't want to do that, but I'm here to do my job. So sure enough, I saw a woman in a trench coat sitting in the in the pews, and for some reason, I think I had uh, I had watched uh, Jason Bourne just a bit too recently. I sat down in the seat behind her for some reason, <laughs> other than sitting beside her and asking her, or introducing myself. And uh, uh, she simply said, "Are you from Reuters?" And uh, I said, "Yes." And she it was she did actually speak in an Eastern European accent, and she had red lipstick on and a trench coat. <laughs> so I was expecting, you know, to see a Natasha case or to be handed documents. Mm-hmm. So she she got up and started walking uh, towards the altar. So I followed her, uh, as I always do. My camera was ready anyway for the. I had I constantly change the exposures and things in my camera depending on where I am. So I was ready for something to happen. Uh, I was more than a little uh, apprehensive, should we say, <laughs> uh, because I wasn't sure of what she was going to do. So we walked up to the front of the cathedral, and she. Uh, yeah, she took off her trench coat and yeah, she was naked underneath uh, with uh, various slogans daubed across her body, and she stood in the altar facing me with. Uh, I'll not. I'll not go into just too much. Graphic. Yeah, that's that's probably uh, for the best. <laughs> yeah, but it was uh, uh, it was a protest against uh, uh, the abortion right or the abo- abortion laws in the Republic of Ireland, mm-hmm. and. So I was shooting pictures very shakily, I have to say, confronted with this uh, uh, naked lady in the middle of a Catholic uh, cathedral uh, when we weren't meant to be there, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I, I was taking the pictures, and then she turned around and jumped onto the altar and grabbed a, a crucifix, jumped back off, and stood again. So this was going from, like, the born supremacy to, like... Uh, <laughs> Friday the 13th in a uh-huh. few seconds. You know? So 
I took some more pictures and then I put my camera away because I thought, right, the longer I stand here, she's going to do something more and more and more outrageous because she clearly didn't care. She was getting mm -hmm. her point across and she just she was going to do whatever it took. So I thought, right, well, I'm just I'm feeling this situation. Now I've taken the pictures. That's fine. I'm not going to take any more. So I put my camera away. She put her clothes back on. I walked outside. Unbelievably, nobody had seen any of this happen, <laughs> which to this day, I cannot believe it. We just walked outside separately. No documents were handed over. And then uh, <laughs> outside, and I get into my car. And it's at that point that I took a big deep breath. I don't think I had breathed in the past. <laughs> and I was like, what the did pop just happen? What did I see? So I had to go through my pictures again and <laughs> look to see what I had photographed. So I immediately got up. This is where it maybe takes a slightly more serious turn when I uh, I immediately rang my uh, uh, my picture editor at the time, my boss, and uh, explained to him what had happened. But then I said, listen, there's no point in me explaining anymore. I'm just going to send you this picture and look at it. So he looked at it and got straight back to me and said, holy shit, right, whatever. Mm -hmm. So the picture eventually worked its way through the, the different levels of management. And they decided to spike the picture, and that means put a picture kill on it, because what had happened was there had been a lot of... Femme were doing an awful lot of outrageous stunts, uh, and they were just getting more and more and more. Mm. Uh, which is fine. They were getting their points point across, and you know they they deserve any any media attention they get for some of the things they're highlighting. But the thing was, they were using us or Reuters at the time as their personal PR puppet. So it was decided that yeah, we'll photograph them again in the future. But there's just been far too many photographs taken of these people, and. So we 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 can't let them think that we're going to photograph every single thing that they decide to do. Yeah. If there had been other photographers there, it might have been different. We probably would have put the picture out. But because it was just us and it was almost like a unwritten contract, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's we. Uh, it wasn't that I decided not to put it out. Somebody else decided not to put it out. And I have to say, I I, I would agree with it. Yeah, I think the th the thing that really struck me about the story was to be in the the heat of of that situation, you know, for all for as you say, for, you were you were shaky because all of that was unfolding in front of you, but to kind of have the realization that you, that you were being used to an extent that that you standing there with the camera taking pictures of this of this situation was it was only happening for the benefit of your camera, so it, it was no longer journalism it was pr as you say it was uh well exactly and it, this becomes a very you know we can have a debate about this all day about whether these pictures should have been put out or not and you know there are good arguments on for both sides of the story but that is maybe where having a journalist or somebody with experience yeah. counts because if it had been somebody else they would have got caught up in the whole sensationalism of the thing that would have got used everywhere i have no doubt the picture would have received massive attention mm -hmm. because it was so outrageous but it you know it wouldn't have sat well with me the reason that we were getting that attention you know no. yeah i i understand completely and uh, and as i say to, 
I think the experience, the, the, the thing that being a photojournalist brought to that situation and being an experienced guy as, as, as you are, is to know, is to kind of realise that that was, that was happening in the heat of the moment, as I say, which, uh, which anyway, thanks for telling the story. That, that, that was the, the kind of the, the point that I was uh, looking to explore there. So, okay. um, so, so what's, what's next? What's happening now? What are you, what are you up to now? What, and what's, what's next for, for you? Well, at the minute, I'm, uh, I've started, well, I've always been doing photo workshops and photo courses and talks and what have you, but uh, now I've uh, focused on it a wee bit more. And I've got a couple of exciting new projects actually that I'm that I'm going to be uh, announcing or or revealing on my website soon. I have got my normal uh, uh, photo talks and photo walks that I do. There's a couple coming up. There's one in Dublin and one in London that's coming up. There'll be more added to that. But there's a if you keep an eye on the website, there's a couple of uh, pretty special courses that nobody else has really done before something that I'm really proud of. We've got some nice collaborations and uh, sponsors coming in. Uh, I'm maybe making this sound like it's going to be the Oscars. It's <laughs> not, but it's exciting for me. Bear in mind, I live in a cottage with a dog, so it wouldn't be very nice <laughs> to be excited. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's an exciting new uh, concept for anybody that is seriously into photojournalism. And uh, it's for, yeah, people that maybe want to make a career out of it or mm-hmm. or want to see what it's really like to be a photojournalist. But this is going to be an extremely ethical course. It's mm-hmm. not going to be exploitative, and we're working in collaboration with uh, charities. So whenever you're doing this, you're going to be uh, giving something back to the community as well. And uh, maybe we'll talk about it again at a later date. Yeah, it's, it sounds amazing, and I guess the only way people find out first is to is to get in touch with you online and, and follow the website. And we'll, yeah, as yeah. I say, we'll give out a couple of links at the end. Um, so, uh, anything else that we've that we've missed? Is is there something that I should have asked you about that I maybe didn't? No, I don't think so. I think you've uh, covered most of it. Cool. So the the only other question that I that I asked people whenever I talk to them about this sort of thing, and in my in my day job is is what has photography taught you about yourself uh, over the years oh no you could have given me <laughs> you're going to ask that because uh yeah what has photography taught me about myself oh man i don't know what has taught me about myself it it has actually taught me this is going to sound a bit sycophantic but uh how lucky I am uh, because whenever you see people around the world who are much, much less fortunate, it uh, sort of keeps you in check as mm-hmm. to just how fortunate we are. The, the very fact that I'm sitting in this warm house with yeah. speaking into a laptop, it just puts it puts us like, I, forget, I can't remember what the, the figures are, but we're something like the, the 1% or the 5% of the world that is, you know, mm-hmm. living in comfort, mm. you know, and unfortunately, or fortunately for me, uh, I have went and witnessed all the other 95%. Mm. And, uh, it's not somewhere I would wish to be, definitely not. Mm-hmm. And so 
that's where the responsibility comes, I think, for me. In my uh, lovely comfy chair at the minute, it's <laughs> up to highlight uh, exactly what is going on with mm. the other 95%. I understand. Okay, brilliant. Thank you. Where can people get in touch or find out more about your work? Uh, yeah, well, if you just go to www.cahill.com, Hi, no, what is it? www.cahill underscore mcnaughton.com. That's my website. Or uh-huh. I'm on Instagram at C underscore mcnaughton or Twitter or whatever. But you can, if you go through my website, you'll find me. And I can't believe I forgot my own web address there. So that should be <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll put a link in the, in the show notes so that uh, people can, can click in, instead, of, instead of typing. Yeah. And, and- Send any donations, just send them to 107. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, upcoming workshops that you've got. Have you got any spaces left on those at the moment? Uh, there are a couple of spaces left in Dublin, there are a couple of spaces left in London. There's going to be another workshop announced probably in Belfast for the end of March, so keep an eye out for that. And uh, then there's this other project which I'm looking forward to, and then just keep an eye out for it on my website for details. Great. Okay. Once more, thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. Pleasure. Pleasure.